Good morning, everybody. How are you today? It is good to see you. Why don't you take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. And um, while you're turning, let me just say thank you so much to John for coming this morning and sharing your testimony and allowing us the privilege to be able to see and celebrate with you your water baptism. And uh, on a personal level, thank you so much for saving the life of Mark Racy so many years ago. Listen, Mount Perrin North and our kids' ministry wouldn't be the same without him and Michelle. Do you appreciate Pastor Mark Racy? Would you let him know how much you appreciate him and all they do for kids' ministry? So we're going to continue what we began last week and look at these encounters that Jesus had with people and how they literally transformed their lives. And so today in John chapter 9, I want to read to you the first seven verses as we get started. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his, te- his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Very odd question. It was a theological belief that they held that if something was wrong with you, somebody somewhere did something wrong. And so they said, did this man sin? He's born blind. So obviously, did he sin in the womb or did his parents sin? And so Jesus responded and said, It was not because of his sins or his parents' sin. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. In verse 6, then he, Jesus, spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. The word Siloam means sent. And so the man went, and he washed, and he came back seeing. I want to talk to you about this man's story and about how people reacted to it when he says, I was blind, but now I see. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing your word today. I pray you would anoint the words you've given me to say as they go forth. Anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive so that you may accomplish your perfect will. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the praise for it. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. In 2006, it wasn't just a few months after uh, Laura and our family arrived here, um, we were able to take part in a project um, uh, in New Orleans. So what happened was about nine months prior to that, um, Hurricane Katrina had hit the Gulf Coast and New Orleans was just devastated. And so through our contacts, we were able to connect with a family that was a part of a church there, and uh, this family's home had been destroyed. And so with a group, a team of people, we went down and we did what, we, what was called basically back then Extreme Home Makeover. There was a TV show called Extreme Home Makeover where they would come in and they would do, you know, they would revamp the home and they would reveal it. It has no innovation at all now because that's all HGTV is right now anyway. So, but back then that was very innovative. And so we went down, found this couple and with, a, with the help of another group, we completely gutted the house and rebuilt the house in a matter of about 14 days. And it was amazing to watch this family come back in and their whole house had been restored. And uh, it was also amazing to see, you could see the responses and the reactions of other people who saw the transformation that took place. Some of them were just amazed, like, how can this happen? How can this happen? How can this happen so quickly? I mean, how do you do this? We can't even go to the store and get lumber. How How are you able to do this? And then you also had reactions in the same neighborhood that would basically say, well, who are these people? Who do they know in order to get their house fixed? How do they get so lucky that they got their house fixed? So same transformation, same things happen, and two different responses to it. 
Maybe you've seen that on a personal level where you've seen someone make a personal transformation. Um, a, a couple of years ago, um, that one of our pastors, Jason Duncan, uh, decided he was going to kind of take his health back and he decided he was going to watch what he ate, he was going to exercise. And in about nine months, between nine months and a year, Jason lost 80 pounds. And, um, and okay, that's remarkable. The remarkable thing, he, he's still lost 80 pounds. Like he kept it off. Two years later, you know, and um, so the, the responses that he got were, oh my goodness, you look fantastic. What are you doing? Maybe I can do that as well. To the other uh, res uh, responses were, uh, don't you think you're getting a little too thin there? Trying to show off a little bit? Same transformation, different reaction. And the reason why I share this with you today is over the last 15 months, Hundreds of people here at Mount Perrin North, some of them you, have made transformations in your life. You've encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's a life change, there's a transformation that has taken place in your life, and the reactions that you're getting from your friends and your family and your coworkers are not at all what you thought. Maybe they're not filled with joy, maybe it's something else. It's the same transformation and yet there are different reactions to it. Now, your transformation may be something like you've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Or maybe God has set you free from an addiction. Or maybe God has restored, begun to restore your marriage. Maybe it is a physical healing. Since we had a service in late January coming out of our 21 days of prayer and fasting, um, we have had, now in the first service, I told, you, I told them, I said we've had in, in five, Five verifiable medical miracles that have taken place where people went to the doctor, verified all of it. It's great. After service was over with, there was a lady that came up to me who has been battling cancer for some time now and praying for a miracle. She said, hey, how you doing? I said, hi, Anita. She said, nope, call me number six. This past week, she went to the doctor. Her PET scans showed nothing there, and she saw the words that she wanted to see. Not just we can't find anything, resolved. Amen? So here's the thing about an encounter with Jesus. When you come and encounter Jesus, nothing stays the same in your life. When you encounter Jesus, nothing will stay the same. Your personal life won't be the same. Your family life won't be the same. Your work environment won't be the same. Your friends won't respond the same way. Nothing about you will stay the same because Jesus didn't come to leave you the way you are. He came to transform you completely into the person he's created you to be. But knowing that means people are going to respond to your transformation, to your miracle, to your life change in many different ways. This morning, we're looking at a man who was born blind. Jesus comes to him. He encounters him. He does something radical to him, and he, he heals his, gives him vision, heals his sight, and the reactions that we see from everyone else are not necessarily the reactions of joy and celebration. They are far different than that. And so I want us to look at those, and then I want us to see the only thing that you are responsible for after Jesus changes your life. Because can I tell you something? You're not responsible for how everybody else responds to your transformation. You can't be held responsible for that. 
So let me just give you a couple of things and the reactions to this life-changing encounter with Jesus that we see in this man's life and the ones that you will see in your life as well. When a radical change takes place in your life, when there's a transformation or the miraculous happens in your life, there's gonna be people who do one of three things. The first one is this. They will try to explain away the change. And the reason they do this is because they don't understand it. They can't comprehend the change and so they try to explain it away. In verse 8, it says, His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was. Others said, No, he looks just like him. And now, watch, because the beggar is going to respond here. They're having this conversation in front of him like he was deaf. It's, so they're having this conversation, and they go, isn't him? No, this is not him. It just looks a lot like him. No, I think that's him. And the guy just stands up, and he says, yes, I'm the same one. And they ask, who healed you? What happened? And he told him, the man they called Jesus made mud, spread it over my eyes, told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. And so I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they ask. I don't know, he replied. Why doesn't he know? Because when he left him, he couldn't see. And, and so they are trying to explain. So think what they're doing. Isn't this him? No, I don't think that's him at all. The guy we saw, that guy was needy. The guy we saw, that guy couldn't see. That guy we saw, that guy was begging all the time. People will try to explain away the transformation in your life because this is gonna be tough to hear. They're more comfortable in you being needy than they are in you being healed. They're more comfortable in you being in a lesser place than being placed and restored to the right place. People are comfortable in your pain, but they're uncomfortable in your healing, and they will try to explain it away. You say, what does that look like? Well, listen, if, if there's a physical miracle that's taking place in your life, Many times, people will just try to explain it away. Maybe they weren't that bad after all. Or if you've had a, a miracle of reconciliation in your family, and your family is starting to reconcile, and God is restoring your family back together, people will say, oh, give it some time. They'll get over it. God sets you free from an addiction. Oh, I've seen this before. He'll go back. They will try to explain it away. And listen, you can't do anything about them. All you can say is, no, no, no. That was me, and this is me now. And there is one reason I stand here today in the state that I'm in now, and that is because of Jesus. It's the only thing that you can do, and you're not responsible. You say, well, isn't that frustrating? Yes, but they'll have to take that up with the Lord. Not everybody's going to celebrate with you. Some are going to try to explain it away because they just don't understand it. There's a second group of people who will try to deny the change and the transformation in your life because it challenges their belief system. Now, now this could be a spiritual belief system. This could be theological. But this also could be something scientific. This also could be political belief system. This also may be something in their past about the way they view people. But this is the problem. 
The group that he encounters, the Pharisees, think that they know God so well that they know how he's gonna do something, when he's gonna do something, to whom he will do something, and where it's going to do it. They've figured God out in their mind and they've placed him in this box and they believe that God can't do anything outside of that box. Can I just tell you something? Jesus didn't come to fit in your theological box. He came to transform your world and blow your mind. This is the Pharisees. In verse 13, they says, they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees, the teachers, because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. Now, that's not a weird statement there. So they had rules about the Sabbath. And it started off in a good way. The Lord says in the Old Testament, honor the Sabbath day, keep it holy. You're not to work on the Sabbath. And so years, hundreds of years prior to this, when the Pharisees came to be, there was a group of people saying, well, we want to be holy, don't we? We want to be right before the Lord. Yes. Well, then let's not do work on Sunday or on the Sabbath day. Great. All right. Let's not do that. What constitutes work? Well, I don't know. And they start making questions. Is this work? Well, I don't think that's work. What do you think? No, I don't think that's work. What about this? I'm pretty sure that's work. So it wasn't that Jesus spoke healing to the man. It's the way Jesus, it's not that he healed people on the Sabbath on this occasion. It is because he spit in the dirt and made mud and put it on the man's eyes and they considered that work. They're more concerned about their rules and the theology than about the fact that God just stepped in and did something that no one had ever done and opened blind eyes. People will deny the change and the transformation and act like it never existed because it challenges their belief system. It goes on and says, the Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told him, he put mud over my eyes and when I washed it away, I could see. So some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God for he's working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could he do, how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them, among their own, the Pharisees. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what is your opinion about this man who healed you? And the man replied, I think he must be a prophet. And the Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man that had been blind and could now see. So then they called in his parents. We'll look at his parents in a minute. But it's this idea that, yes, God's a healer, but God wouldn't do it that way. Or God wouldn't do it to that person. I had a man I pastored in Mississippi that struggled, and it was an honest struggle. It wasn't hypocritical. It was an honest struggle. This man went through more trauma in his life by serving in the Vietnam War. And so much trauma that he had a very difficult time because in war, your country says this country is the enemy and they are all wrong. And everything about them is evil. And this man in war had obviously believed that, but at the same time, the same people that he's believing that are trying to kill him. And he's trying to kill them in war. Now you can have your opinion about war, but the trauma that it put on this man was that he was to such an extent in his trauma that he had a hard time believing when people that look like those that were the enemy years before came to know Jesus, how can God accept such evil people? Based upon 
this belief system that had been hammered into him over the years. And if we're not careful, we'll apply the same standards to a God that is ready and willing to all that call upon the name of Jesus to pour out the same grace that's offered to us. And we may not be doing it like that, but we might say, I'm not sure he could do it. They've been a criminal all their life. I'm not sure they could do it. They're of a a different political party than I am. I'm not sure they could do it. Aren't they enemies of the country that we live in? Fill in the blank. Whatever the belief system that limits the grace of God to do what God wants to do when God wants to do it is a dangerous place to be. Because if we're not careful, we want to be in control of the grace of God. I think they deserve it, but maybe not them. I'm not picking on you guys over here. (laughs) Oh, yeah, they deserve it. I know them. I know their family. Oh, I don't know anything about them, and I'm a little suspicious of them. They don't deserve it. We want to be the arbiter of God's grace. It goes on, and it says that they call him back a second time, the Pharisees do. It says in verse 24, so for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this. The the literal phrase is give glory to God. What that means is obviously give glory to God, but it also means it's a way that you are to promise to tell the truth. So it's like, give your word and put your hand on a Bible. Give glory to God. And it says, because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And I love this guy's response. He doesn't know theology. He says, I don't know whether he's a sinner, but I know this. I was blind. Now I can see. But what did he do, they ask? How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I've already told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And then they cursed him and said, you're his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man's comes from. And this guy, I love this guy. He said, well, that's very strange. He healed my eyes and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. And ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. And they answered him, you were born a total sinner. It's almost like they look at him and say, yo mama. I mean, you know, it's like the the worst comeback ever. I have no idea why I said that. I'm so sorry. And then they answered in this condescending way, are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. This man doesn't understand theology, but he knows the change that has taken place in his life. I was blind, but now I see. I was bitter, but now I'm joyful. I I was hopeless, but now I have hope. I was hateful, but now I'm full of love. I was angry, but now I have peace. I tried to earn acceptance, and now I'm accepted by the one who matters the most. I chased after the things of this world, but now I rejoice in the things of God. I was trapped in relentless addiction, but now I'm free. I was controlled by the opinions and the judgments and the praise of people, but now I seek to please God and Him alone. I was fearful, but now I'm courageous. All He knows is this. I can't explain the theology to you. I just know that's what I was. This is where I am now, and it's all because I met Jesus. Yeah. 
You can't do anything about people who want to deny the change that took place in you because it challenges their belief systems. They're the only ones trying to limit God. The third group of people is this. The ones who will admit the change but refuse to embrace it because they're afraid of what other people may think. This is his parents. In verse 19, the Pharisees ask his parents, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? And his parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. Notice verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who would announce that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he's old enough, ask him. Because if you were expelled from the synagogue, that, mean not only, that means not only were you cut off spiritually from your, your, your um, spiritual community, no one would do business with you. It would have financial implications on you. And no one would be your friends anymore. It literally had community implications as well. And what they say is this, that's him. And yes, I see the change but don't ask me to get involved in the change because I'm afraid of what it's going to cost me because I'm afraid of what other people are going to think. So what do you do? What do you do when you encounter people who there is an obvious change that's taken place in your life? You can't do anything about them. So what can you do? First of all, you got to look past what they cannot see. Look past what they cannot see. The guy is healed. His neighbors and his friends and all of those, for the first time, all his life, they have watched him beg. And for the first time in, in all these years, he can actually see them. And I mean really see them. He's heard their voices all his life. Now he can physically see, but also now he is spiritually getting a vision of who they really are in his life. And they point at him and they say, I don't think this is the guy. Now, what's the point of that? There will always be people that tell you that you ought to stay in the dark when God's calling you into the light. There are always people who are more comfortable with the way you were than the way God is transforming you to be. There are always people who will try to dampen the fire that God has lit in your life. And it'll be something like this. When you know that God is trying to reconcile your marriage, they'll say it's impossible. When you say, no, I have faith in God, they'll say, it'll never happen for you. When you say, I've got joy in spite of my pain, they'll say, no way, I don't believe that. There's a turnaround in my life. No, God's not doing that. When I know that there's forgiveness and I believe I've got a fresh start, they say, no way, that can't happen for you. Listen, if you want to really see, you have to look past what other people say. And you've got to do what only you can do. And that's respond to Jesus in obedience and worship. That's all he asks of you. You can't do anything about those who want to explain it away, who want to deny it, who refuse to embrace it. But you can respond to Jesus in obedience and worship. In verse 6 it says, then Jesus spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the man's, blind man's eyes. 
And he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Here's what I want you to see. The miraculous usually happens when you take an ordinary step of obedience and then God does extraordinary things. See, too many people I know, Christians, think that they have to do extraordinary things in order for God to do the miraculous. When, when the people of Israel are being brought out of Egypt and they come to the Red Sea and it is a barrier there, God tells Moses, take the staff, the shepherd's staff that's in your hand. It, it is a stick. Hold it out over the water. Watch what I do. He holds it out over the water. God parts the Red Sea. They walk across it on dry land, and he then takes it back, and God crushes the enemy. When God feeds five, when Jesus feeds 5,000 people, he finds one boy that's got five pieces of bread, two fish, and he uses that to multiply it and feed 5,000 people. When God is leading his people across the Jordan River into the land of promise and the great city of Jericho is standing there, God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk, get in formation and just walk around that city one time for six days. And on the seventh day, I want you to walk around it seven times. And then I want you to blow the trumpets and get out of the way and watch what I do. And God caused the entire ground to shake and the walls that were surrounding that city came crashing down. And now this fortified city is exposed and they could go in and get the victory. You know what the problem is today? Can, can I get in your business for a minute? You're not gonna like this, but... We so want to be in the story, we think it's about us. You see, there's too many people today, if that happened today, that instead of just holding the staff over and watch God do, they would tell the story and say, did you see that stick? I carved that stick. Did you see how I held that? No shaking at all. Two million people walked across this thing, steady as a rock I held that stick. Did you see those waters part? If it was today, it would be some little boy going, nobody else brought any food. I brought something that Jesus could work with. Thank God for me, right? If it were us, walk around the walls of Jericho, we'd probably be saying something like this. God told us to walk. Did you see my walk? Woo. I mean, I held my shoulders back. I had my head held high. I kind of strutted a little bit on that seventh time around on the seventh day. And the people blowing the trumpets, did you hear the sound that I made with that trumpet? That sound was so great, walls came down. Can I just tell you something? God will ask you to do ordinary things so he can get extraordinary praise, not the other way around. The miracle of the reconciliation of your marriage is not because you became a better husband or a better wife. It's because Jesus came in and flooded your soul with grace and transformed you from the core and made you who he wanted you to be. 
The miracle that takes place when you break free from addiction is not your willpower. And though I love all of the programs that are out there, it's not all the steps that are involved with it. It's that Jesus stepped into your life and transformed your life and delivered you from that addiction. The healing that takes place in your body is not because you prayed well or you read uh, read the right scriptures or you said the right thing at the right time. It's the healer came in and touched you and gave you the thing that you needed most. It is never about us. It is always about him. And our only response is to respond in obedience and worship to the Lord. So what does an ordinary step of faith look like for you? If there's a broken relationship and you've been praying, God, heal this relationship. But then you're also praying, and oh God, Let the other person make the first phone call. Maybe he's tugging on your heart. It's time for you to initiate the contact. Maybe you've given up on a dream, thrown in a towel, and God's asking you to pick the towel up one more time. Or maybe something hasn't happened, and you feel like it's just been so long. You've stopped believing, and God's saying, why don't you lean in? Why don't you trust? Why don't you believe? Why don't you ask and keep asking? Maybe, just maybe, it's beginning to talk with someone about their relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's responding to a person in love when your flesh just wants to choke them, right? Or are you all more spiritual than I am? You know what I mean? Maybe it's admitting you're wrong and telling someone you're sorry. We keep waiting for God to ask us to do extraordinary things when God is asking us, why don't you go wash the mud off your eyes so that you can see? The most important thing about this, in verse 35 through 38, it says, when Jesus heard what happened, he found this man and he asked, do you believe in the son of man? And the man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he's speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. The most beautiful part of this is the man refers to Jesus three different times. First, he says, the man Jesus. Then he says, I think he's a prophet. And then he says, Lord. And it's only after his eyes are opened and he sees Jesus that he responds. God brought you here this morning, not by accident. He wants to equip you. He wants to empower you. But can I just tell you something? Jesus has a much higher purpose than simply fixing your marriage or healing your body or giving you strength to endure or freeing you up from past guilt. There's a higher purpose. And the reason he opens our eyes is so you can see him, really see him, and do what this man did. Believe and worship. Believe and worship. Some of you, some of you in this room, 
God is tugging on your hearts. You have been playing games with him long enough. And he's telling you, go wash the mud of deceit off your eyes. And come look at me and see. Some of you, you've had a radical transformation in your life and you're so discouraged right now because the people around you aren't seeing it or they're denying it or they're trying to explain it away and you're wanting them to rejoice. And you've been so discouraged, you're wondering, is it real? Look into the eyes of Jesus. Believe and worship and respond in obedience to him. You can't do anything about the naysayers, but you can look into the eyes of your Lord and you can worship him and let him transform you into everything he's called you to be. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes? If you're in this room and you know when you came in here that things aren't right between you and the Lord, or if you're watching online and you know when things aren't right between you and the Lord, you can make that change today by asking Jesus to be Lord of your life. You just need to pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I thank you that your price was enough, that the, that the punishment for our sins was placed upon you. Thank you that today I stand here because of grace, not because of anything that I've done, but because of grace. So I ask you to forgive me of the way I've lived. Forgive me of my sins. I surrender to your Lordship. I recognize your Lord of all. You came to this earth, you died for my sins, you were buried in a tomb and you raised a new life and you are Lord of all. And this day I commit my life to do whatever your word and your spirit calls me to do. Now I'm gonna ask everyone in the room and everyone watching online, if you would just pray this prayer of profession with me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Come on, one more time. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, if you're in this room right now, I'm not here to embarrass you or call you out. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I want to pray for you this week. If that's you, though, you, you know when you came in, things weren't right between you and the Lord. You're making a decision to follow him today. Would you just raise your hand really high so I can see it and I can pray for you this week? Amen. God bless you. Keep, keep him up just a moment more, please. Amen. Amen. Wow, God's grace is so great, so great. Amen. All right, you can put them down. Lord, thank you for changed lives, surrendered hearts. Thank you that your grace is sufficient. And I pray that you would just begin to take the weight of the past off of their shoulders and just invade their hearts and minds with joy. As they leave here today, Lord, I pray that they leave with a sense of destiny and purpose and hope. For those in this room, Lord, that they've seen a radical transformation in their lives. But there are those around them that are surrounding them that they're not seeing it. They're starting to get discouraged, Lord. Encourage them, I pray, with grace. And Lord, in these next few moments, as we pray one for the other, I ask you to be here for those that are asking for prayer for needs. And I ask for anointing over those who are going to pray with those who have needs. For your glory, we ask these things. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. Listen, our prayer team is going to come, and they're going to be right down front here. If you have a need, whether that's a physical need or if it's a financial need or relational or maybe it's emotional, whatever that need is, 
Um, we've got folks that will pray with you over that need. Here's, here's what I believe. The body of Christ is made to minister to each other. And we're gonna pray with you and pray that God's going to hear our prayers as we join our faith together. Maybe you've made, um, uh, you've got that kind of need or maybe you're here and you're just discouraged because of the transformation that's taken place in your life. You're feeling pressure from folks outside that they're not responding in the way and you're gonna, you need someone to pray with you and ask God to give you strength and encouragement and courage and grace to continue on in the transformation that he's begun because he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete that work in you. We would love to pray with you as well. If you're watching online, there's a number that's on your screen right now. We have some ministry prayer teams that are waiting for you. You can call that number and we'll be glad to pray with you as well. But as we worship together, our prayer team's coming. If you have a need, any need whatsoever, we would love to have the honor to pray with you right now. There is a truth older than the ages. There is a promise things yet to come. There is one born for our salvation, Jesus. There is a light that overwhelms the darkness. There is a kingdom that forever reigns. There is freedom from the chains that bind us. Jesus, oh Jesus. Who walks on the waters, who speaks to the sea, who stands in the fire beside. He rose like a lion, he bled as a lamb, he carries my healing in his hands, Jesus. There is a name, there is a name, I call in times of trouble, there is a song that comforts in the night. There is a voice that calms the storm that rages, Jesus, Jesus, who walks on the water, who speaks to the sea, who stands in the fire beside me, he roars like a lion, he bled. My Savior, there is power in your day. You're my rock my Redeemer. There is power in your name, in your name. You You stand in the fire beside me. You roll. 
Sing Messiah. Oh, Messiah, my Savior, there is power in your name. You're my rock my Redeemer. There is power in your name, in your name. Time we sing it to him. You walk on the waters. You walk on the waters. You speak to the sea. You stand in the fire. You roar like a lion. You bled as a lamb. You carry my healing in your name. Sing his name. Just right where you are, why don't you just speak the name of Jesus? Just please. come on, speak the name of Jesus.
Whatever your circumstances are, speak the name of Jesus right now. Lord, today we stand on the word and the name that is above every other name. Because you said it, Lord, we believe it. I thank you right now that you have established in your word that you are the word and that when you speak, Lord, you spoke this world into creation. You speak circum to circumstances and they change. Lord, to bodies that need healing, you can speak restoration and recreation at the molecular cellular level and it is done. You can speak to governments and they rise and they fall at your word. At your word, families are healed. At your word, O oh Lord, finances, O oh Lord, and provision is given. At your word, O oh Lord, anxiety and depression, O oh Lord, can cease because of your peace that passes all human understanding guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. At your word. And so, Lord, we stand on your word today. We thank you, Lord, for the things that you have done. We thank you for the testimonies that are in this room, oh Lord, the transformations and the life change that have taken place, of the healings that have happened. We thank you, oh Lord, that what we prayed for right now, oh God, with our physical eyes, we may not see it, but you've opened our spiritual eyes, oh Lord, and now we can see what we used to be able not to see, oh God, because what was once dark is now light. I thank you, Lord, that things that you are beginning today, we will see in the future, O oh Lord. And I go ahead and give you praise for all those things right now, Lord. I give you praise for the answered prayers. I give you praise for the deliverance. I give you praise for the peace. I give you praise for the healing. I give you praise, O oh Lord, for the grace that is going to be poured out on your people. And I give you praise for the kingdom of God that is going to be enlarged as your people do the ordinary things so that you can do the extraordinary things and bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus right now. Hallelujah be to your name. Hallelujah be to your name. Celebrate with me today, not only the answer is prayer, but seven people gave their hearts to Jesus today. Come on, give the Lord praise in this place. Amen. That is the best decision that you will ever make. And it's not because you're so smart in deciding, it's because God's grace touched you. And I just pray today that as you leave this place, that you will leave in joy. Um, when we dismiss in just a few moments, there's going to be some members of our grow team. They'll be right down here. If you made a decision to follow Jesus in the last few weeks, we'd love to talk with you and uh, give you some answers to some of the questions that you may have um, and get you started on this walk with Jesus. Also, if you just want to learn more about North, uh, we would love to answer some of those questions as well. We are just so delighted that you are here today and thankful, as Pastor Brett said earlier, thankful for the sweet presence of God that was in this place today. Amen. Amen. Before you go, let me bless you before you go, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response, which is from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you, folks. Love you. Have a great week.